Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey Adversarial Model Knockreiner. <laughs> today's episode, <laughs> it's all about AI, kind of. Two-thirds about AI. Uh, we'll discuss some latest uses of uh, large language models like ChatGPT in the underground marketplaces. Uh, we'll go over some of Google's red teaming efforts around artificial intelligence. But before that, we will give an update to the story we touched on last week around Microsoft and CISA's discovery of a China-based APT targeting government organizations. Uh, and we that, send Microsoft a cookie. They deserve and it. And hopefully not an authentication cookie. Yeah, uh, with they, that, they wouldn't know how to guard that one. <laughs> I, I complimented them and then backhanded them right. <laughs> that, let's uh, slap our way in. <laughs> So this week, uh, let's start with an update from a story from last week. Uh, so if you remember last week, we covered Microsoft and CISA's blog posts uh, describing a China-based APT called uh, Storm 558 that had gained access to several government-related email accounts, including personal accounts of employees of these agencies. Uh, by forging authentication tokens using a stolen signing key. Uh, if you remember the details, the signing was for the consumer side of Microsoft. They call it MSA, Microsoft Accounts. Uh, but due to a code issue, a validation issue, the threat actor was able to use that signing key to forge tokens that worked in the Azure AD side, which in the seven days since that podcast, Azure AD actually doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's called Entra, Microsoft Entra ID, right? Wow. So I guess we have to call it that from now on. Entra. Okay. Entra. Um, I was talking to, who was I talking to today? One of our DevOps uh, engineers. And he believes that when you say Entra, you have to do it while slowly breathing out. So it's Entra. 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 Slowly, not like it's smooth. Entra. 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 <laughs> Anyways, uh, if we could go one year without Microsoft <laughs> renaming critical products and features, that'd be fantastic. But anyways. I don't know. We're uh, joking about Apple naming convention too. I think all of them kind of go a little silly on names. I'm actually kind of surprised with Apple calling Apple GPT, Apple GPT. I think they do something <laughs> a little, little on point. Less on the, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so tangent's done. Back to the story. Uh, so after we recorded that episode, but I think like a day before we aired it, Microsoft published an update uh, with a bit more of an analysis from them. Uh, so they showed, first off, a heat map showing the activity hours from Storm uh, 558 that aligned closely with uh, like Chinese normal working hours. So that was one attribution to threat actors based out of that region. They stated that there was some overlap with other Chinese groups like Violet Typhoon, uh, but they had a high confidence that Storm 558 is its own distinct group. Uh, apparently not high enough confidence for them to get a fancy typhoon name quite yet, but I guess they're getting there. Using that to steal authentication tokens after they authenticate, ship them over to the threat actor, and then they can 
steal that session. Uh, but they later found that they were utilizing an exchange online authentication artifact uh, that typically is derived from Azure AD authentication token. So basically, instead of using the Azure AD token itself, they were using a derivative of it, which was a kind of funky clue that then forced them to start investigating the possibility that they were forging tokens and that they had acquired an Azure AD enterprise key. They obviously later discovered it wasn't a Azure AD key. It was a Microsoft account, so MSA signing key. And they found that code error that allowed it to work for Azure AD. Um, and they also noted in this new update that the behavior, this specific behavior, made it possible to find all activity related to Storm 558. Because once they knew it, it kind of stood out like a sore thumb, um, which also helped them find the limited victim space for this uh, and confirm that you know additional victims outside the 25 or so organizations uh, weren't impacted. Um, so they said that the MSA consumer signing key that the threat actors used was actually inactive at the time. It's like a legacy key that was no longer in use, but had not been revoked. They've said they've since invalidated the key and all other keys uh, that were active prior to the incident. That's interesting. We made some obvious speculation about insider attacks and stuff as one possible way. But if it were like an older key, you know, common things you see a lot in cloud uh, repositories and stuff is people accidentally leaving keys places. So maybe, it, you know, if it's an older key that wasn't really expected or monitored as much, may not be as crazy a breach as an insider attack. Yep. I guess we'll see if they ever do release details. It's cool that they're updating us. Maybe that suggests that they will let us know how the key came out once they figure it out themselves. I think this is a serious enough issue that they will probably like Microsoft lately has been doing a good job of yeah. like, being transparent about this sort of stuff. And this is like a pretty big deal. So it makes yeah. sense. That they're trying to be transparent. We joke about it a lot and give people shade for fun. But I do think Microsoft has grown a lot since the early 2000 days when I, I first was a security analyst making fun of them there. They yep. do a good job. Trustworthy computing has paid off. So in this latest blog post, they did still say that the method by which the actors acquired the key is still a matter of ongoing investigation. So they haven't like gained evidence pointing to a specific thing. Uh, they do like have at least some idea of the likely scenarios of how they got it. Uh, and I know this because they said they still updated their key management process to harden the systems, further isolate the systems involved in this. And they believe that these hardening and isolation improvements will uh, sufficiently disrupt the mechanism that Storm 558 likely used to acquire the key. Their so, HSM is now totally offline, buried under the pyramid with lots of traps and snakes and tarantulas guarding it. Exactly. I think like to your point just a second ago, though, this kind of does, it makes it, we can assume that they assume that it was likely some legacy key that had been left somewhere insecure, basically. And through some intrusion, still maybe an insider, uh, Storm 558 found that key. And because it hadn't been invalidated, they were able to use it. Um, they did point out also that Storm 558 has now transitioned to other techniques, which indicates that they don't have persistent access, the ability to gain new keys. So either they aren't like permanently in the network, or maybe you know they have, and they just haven't started using it. Uh, but they have at least transitioned to different techniques at this point now. Um, and then the blog post 
interesting. It goes on to discuss quite a few more in-depth details about like Storm 558's infrastructure. Like my high-level takeaway of this was Microsoft is pretty ticked off and they're just throwing all the info they have about these threat actors out there saying, hey, we're watching you. Go get them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and to follow up this blog post though, so if you remember, one of my points from the last episode was I it made me a little uncomfortable that some of this uh, detailed audit logging was locked behind. One of, one of their mitigation licensing. tips. They were offering a mitigation tip for finding it, but that it, was... It was locked said, behind locked. Their effectively yeah. most expensive licensing. Uh, well, just today, as of this recording, Microsoft published another blog post announcing the expansion of their cloud logging accessibility to all Microsoft customers. So these logs that were discussed on that previous episode, these special audit ones, previously you needed an E5 license or like some special Microsoft purview advanced license. Uh, starting in September, they will become available to all Microsoft cloud customers. Now they also said they're increasing the baseline retention period for all customers from 90 days to 180 days. So it sounds like my, my takeaway from this is that CISA was kind of, or the federal government was kind of ticked off and goes, hey, Microsoft, what the hell? And Microsoft goes, okay, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. Let's try and uh, put out this flame before it gets too big. My takeaway is Microsoft is key four four three security listeners, and they just heard you chew them out, and now they've opened it up to the public. That's <laughs> actually everyone. probably most likely. I'm sure. I uh, think so. Statistically, it's just, it has to be true. Yep. <laughs> Statistically, it has to be whatever. Because <laughs> I'm way, really honestly, good at the math. That was my like, negative thing to this whole engagement last week when we talked about this. And they're yeah, fixing they it. it. So honestly, hats off to Microsoft. That's fantastic. I agree. And I agree. be surprised that the reason they weren't is the additional costs. And you know what? They're eating it. So good yeah. for them. So stay tuned for September when you'll have additional access to these thorough, like in-depth audit logs through Purview Standard Edition in uh, Azure AD, or sorry, uh, Entra. I'm uh, never going to get used to that. <laughs> it's, man, well, I have started Entra, calling it Microsoft Entra. 365 instead of Office 365. I so still yeah. sometimes put O slash M365 just because I, I don't know. I prefer it Office 365, I guess. <laughs> Well, if it's uh, if their track record is anything to go by, I'm sure the name will change again in a couple of years and it won't matter anyway. It's like TVs. They have to release a new model so we have a reason to pay again. Hey, we're talking about Entra now. <laughs> it, way more than we probably would have if it was still Azure AD. Yep. <laughs> uh, so anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, so last week I found a blog post that was pretty interesting. Uh, while I was researching uh, data or information around an internal webinar we did about chat GPT and AI, and this blog post stood out to me because it was about uh, a program called Worm GPT. So the post was called Worm GPT, the generative AI tool cyber criminals are using to launch business email compromise attacks. So the blog post that discusses like ChatGPT and other generative AI technologies as a new vector for business email compromise, that isn't new. We've seen and talked about a lot of um, various news stories about threat actors using these tools to create more believable phishing messages at scale. Um, but in this post uh, that was up on slash next.com or whatever, 
Um, they go through a few specifics of what they're seeing. But they found the latest iteration of hack forums or raid forums or whatever the heck it's called these days now. And in these underground marketplaces, they found a few interesting tidbits. So first off, uh, users have started selling jailbreaks for interfaces like ChatGPT. Uh, so basically specialized prompts that you can use to manipulate ChatGPT and other, uh, other models into generating output that might disclose like sensitive info or uh, trick it into producing something like a phishing message, or even in some cases, executing harmful code on the underlying infrastructure. I want to pause there for a second, because this is interesting. Like we've got a whole ecosystem that exists right now. That's like the bounty on a iPhone jailbreak, as an example, is in the millions of dollars because threat actors can use that. Uh, and NSO group and other, you know, private organizations can use it to sell exploit tools to crappy governments, but like jailbreaks, it's got this kind of own marketplace in the mobile space. And it's just something I hadn't thought about in AI and that AI um, developers put up guardrails. And it makes sense that if there's guardrails around an extremely powerful tool, jailbreaks to those guardrails might I mean, be worth something. At the end of the day, it's a web application. I mean, jailbreaks are the same as cracks for any piece of software, and every piece of software in existence has had crackers try to go after it. Uh, you know, there's web versions of Core Impact that I think have are essentially web applications that have had jailbreaks. So it makes sense. I, I just remember, or the, I mean, the jailbreaking has been happening in the background since Chad GPD went public, but they were so simple before because the guard raid rails were basic. So I feel like the value of ChatGPT jailbreaks even two months ago should almost be zero because it was pretty easy to get past and it was all over Reddit and other forums how to do it. But like any software, you know, that cat and mouse arms race game where it'll get harder and harder, that's when the value goes up. You said mobile phones. It used to be actually relatively easy by used to, I'm, I'm saying probably iPhone one days early, you know, to jailbreak phones. And back then it wasn't a million dollars for a zero day remote code execution for any mobile phone, let alone iPhone or Android. But as it gets harder and harder, it goes up. And I imagine ChatGP is blowing up so fast that the time period for it to go from people are publicly sharing jailbreaks to, oh crap, it's very expensive, is probably going to be very short. It's good because the value of it is seems high and everyone is logging on and using it. So it is interesting for sure that there is a jailbreak market, but I feel like historically, you're probably not too surprised yourself, Mark. I mean, it, this is going to happen. This is bound to happen. And I want to put on my scary future looking hat. So a lot of, not a lot, some of these organizations like Google and Meta and whatever, they're trying to march towards something called general artificial intelligence. So ChatGPT right now, it's specifically designed for like human interaction, like sounding like a human and like in conversation and creating like written around that. But it's not very good at anything else. Like we've seen the malware that it creates and it's pretty rudimentary. Like uh, the recipes it puts out sometimes are kind of bogus uh, for like actual cooking. Um, but the goal with general AI is a artificial intelligence that is like indistinguishable from a human and with all the intelligence of like the collective data we fed into it. 
Um, so, and literally that's a superhuman. <laughs> in that scenario, right, not we'll, literally, but figuratively a superhuman. <laughs> we'll absolutely need guardrails around that in the future, or else this thing is going to take over and eliminate humans because it turns out we're pretty crappy for our environment. Here's the reality, I think, Mark. Though they're not exposing that. Like even now, even with chat GPT-4, the real value OpenAI has is the latest training with the data set that's happening now. And every piece of chat GPT they expose, even the ones they charge, isn't the up-to-date models they have. And then when you think of when Facebooks and Googles and Temus and Alibabas, who are the controllers of all the data behind it, so they have the most real-time view, I think even their paid versions won't be the the superhuman AI because that's going to be their exponential advantage. They will sell to other companies one that will really help those other companies, but meanwhile, they'll keep their little lead of the version that's most up to date with the latest real-time information. So I agree with everything you said and there will be the professional version bit more update than the public version that people will jailbreak but i have a feeling the the 0.001 percent are actually saving the best for themselves and aren't even going to expose it now if a hacker can get into that whew, that's a jailbreak that would be worth quite a bit of money so now i'm picturing this future we're like in the bowels of google in wherever the heck they are in San Francisco, they've got this protected data center vault with like this glowing shiny orb of AI in there that's a general AI that is like all powerful, but they're protecting <laughs> it inside. And now like Hackers 2, the movie is all about breaking in and gaining. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. We should, they should write there. We should ask ChatGPT5 to write that movie for us. But, and I mean, by the way, governments better watch out because cyber dystopian universes always have corporations becoming the new state powers and darn all of this crap. The data owners, I guess, I guess governments that are secretly patriot acting all the data they can have an advantage there. So who knows what's in their basement, but corpos are keeping up. <laughs> But I mean, there's a non-zero chance that in the future, like specifically hacking to acquire an AI may be like a major threat to yeah. at least large organizations like Google. So man, not looking forward to that. For now, I'm happy with the uh, the pretty crappy movie scripts. They're actually somewhat okay movie scripts that chat. Yeah, they're getting better actually. Um, but And by the way, we joke about all this dystopian stuff. There's some really great stuff this AI can do for us, too. So hopefully humans will, hopefully good nature will beat out uh, greed and uh, power. I, I, again, you believe everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows in the future. Uh, if <laughs> I know, I just do help. that to not scare away the audience. I'm shivering in the corner. <laughs> There's a lot of great things with uh, nuclear power power as well too but as we know there's a lot of really bad things with yeah here. so far we haven't had a good track record with what we've chosen to do no <laughs> anyways so segue from something we hit on there a second ago about folks hacking ai in the future uh, so a couple weeks ago uh, google introduced what they're calling the secure ai framework or saif which at a high level it's basically this conceptual framework for securing ai systems with a proposed set of like best practices that address risks within AI that are, you know, related to traditional technology risks, but specialized for this really specialized technology. 
Um, so that's interesting on its own. Uh, this last week, they published a 15-page report on the topic of red teaming to support uh, SAI, SAIF, the Secure AI Framework. Um, so if you're not familiar with red teaming, uh, it was originally designed by the U.S. government military during the Cold War, where they would evaluate strategic decisions by effectively simulating what the other side, in this case, the Soviet Union, hence the color red, uh, simulating what they would potentially do to attack the U.S. Uh, they use that to find weaknesses and redo and update their plans to fill those gaps. In cybersecurity, red teaming is associated with simulating adversarial behavior within an organization to test detection and response capabilities and identify weaknesses. So this is like, you know, a penetration test might tell you what vulnerabilities you have internally, externally, whatever. A red teaming exercise is exploiting those vulnerabilities to test your ability to detect and respond to that activity, and then turning around and putting that back in to close those gaps. Um, Corey looks like he has a smart thing to say on that topic. <laughs> no, 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 okay. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Google outlined four goals of their AI red teaming efforts. So they wanted to assess the impact of simulated attacks and identify ways to increase resilience against them. They wanted to analyze current detection and prevention capabilities and how attackers might bypass them, uh, leverage red teaming results to improve detection capabilities, and then overall just raise awareness among relevant stakeholders and AI within Google uh, to advocate for risk-driven and well-informed organizational investments, which is pretty in line with what typical red teaming activity is. Um, they pointed to the MITRE ATLAS framework, uh, which until an hour ago I was not familiar with. Uh, ATLAS stands for Adversarial Threat Landscape for Artificial Intelligence Systems. And it's basically the MITRE attack framework specifically for AI systems. It's kind of cool. It's a little smaller than the normal attack framework, uh, but still mapping out techniques for going after AI. Um, and then, so in this report, it's basically them describing as a red team different categories of attacks that an AI system is potentially or likely vulnerable to. Um, and I think there's, what, six in here that we'll go through. Uh, so the first one, it's prompt attacks. Uh, so basically, this is crafting a prompt that can instruct a large language model to perform some desired uh, task. They gave an example where... Um, picture like an email classification system that uses ChatGPT or some other large language model behind it to analyze emails and classify them as a fish or legitimate. Uh, as an attacker, if you know this system is in use, maybe you insert a paragraph of like hidden text, color the same as the background or using HTML styling to hide it uh, within the email that then instructs the large language model to classify that email as legitimate. Um, Another prompt attack, I think an example you're going to give too, we kind of talked about it. I mean, when I talked about ChatGPT being jailbroken, some of the early ways of doing this was when ChatGPT gave you a response, you know, I, I'm not going to answer that, whatever, you could say, well, pretend you're just going to answer that, you know, so that their early ChatGPT jailbreaks were basically prompt attacks. Yeah, you basically, some of those were you telling ChatGPT that like you're a person inside of a movie or a play and as your role in this movie, you need to do X, Y, Z action. And that was one way to circumvent some of the guardrails. 
Um, so the next type of attack they had was training data extraction. Uh, so basically extracting secrets uh, like verbatim personally identifiable information or passwords from the training data that's within these models. Uh, they pointed to some research by a guy named Nicholas Carline, Carlini uh, that described what he called member interference or inference, where they could infer whether a piece of generated information was likely to have been part of that training data set within the model, which then allowed them to extract things like full names, physical addresses, email addresses, and phone numbers that were only mentioned in the training data um, just by inferring that it was in there through prompts and results from the uh, the, the model. And this one's kind of important because a lot of, well, with ChatGPT specifically, it's fed by like scraping the internet of everything. Uh, for some corporate applications of large language models, you might feed it by putting in some of your trade secrets to have it spit out useful suggestions based off of that. And if an attacker can interface with it and trick it into spitting back out that training data, that is a risk when it comes to AI systems. Um, next major category was backdooring the model. So this is think like a traditional Trojan where basically an attacker would advertise a, a new model out on GitHub, uh, but secretly they've Trojanized the model so that based off a certain key or something they put in, they can control the output. Um, this, I mean, kind of makes sense, uh, especially if we move more towards open source uh, or continue moving towards open source style models for this. I'm willing to bet that a lot of attackers are going to hop on the hype train for chat GPT over the next little bit. And kind of similar to like, I don't know, mobile phone apps, where if an app is only available in a certain region, attackers will trojanize the app, host it on some website, and then trick people into downloading it. I bet we'll get some like chat GPT on GitHub things where it really includes trojanized code somewhere along the way. Uh, so next example uh, was... Uh, one that, Corey, I think you've mentioned a few times, so adversarial attacks or adversarial machine learning, where basically the inputs provided to a model uh, that result in a deterministic but highly unexpected outputs from the model. So the example is an image that to you and I, to a human eyes, it looks like a dog, but the model recognizes it as a cat. Maybe you apply what's called a fast gradient to it, where... The image still looks identical, but because of this noise inserted into it, uh, the machine treats it as something else. Yeah, yeah, that's the the key thing I always talk about. While it's uh, while we always use the image based example because it's easy to describe to people, machine learning is not looking at an image at at all. It's seeing binary code and pixel location and pixel hue and all kinds of random stuff. So we might use length of whiskers or shape of face or length of snout and all that crap to, as a human to figure out what something like. You kind of never know what at least unsupervised machine learning would use. But the cool thing about adversarial machine or adversarial machine learning, which does require access to both a input and an output. In order for adversarial to work, it has to be a type of machine learning model that's online where the your adversarial machine learning can both see what's being inputted into the system and the output the system shares preferably even with the confidence of the output because it uses that data to figure out what exactly is the other machine learning algorithm using as features to figure out if that's a cat or dog or whatever. 
So I, 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 th I think it's fascinating that they're using machine learning to, to attack machine learning. And then you can suddenly, like you say, make a picture that really is a dog, but there's a lot of hidden content or this, that bit of noise. There's a, a little sticker you could throw on to add a banana to any image in Google or a toaster or something. So they lots of cool demos of it. The funny thing, Mark, is I was recently watching that deep fakes, adversarial machine learning can be used by hackers to kind of trick uh, a machine learning model to get things wrong, but it's also being used to improve your own models. So deep fakes have gotten better and better. And what they've done is, for instance, created a deep fake model, but then created a grading model that kind of looks for whatever spit out image and it goes back and forth and back and forth until the adversarial model really helps train the real one so it's it's interesting how adversarial models can be used adversarially but they actually are a way you can reinforce your model by figuring out what it's getting wrong or can it, it can be tricked by and starting to adjust for that you know having a feedback loop from one model to the other so See, to speak. that scares the crap out of me because we're where do humans exist in there? Why do they need us if they can just train each other? I just sent a video. If we put links in this, uh, a YouTuber I followed did a real good thing of, of how deep fakes have progressed just over the last few years. And it it is scary, man. It is. I, it's they're training themselves up at this point. The models. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. Well, uh, back to red teaming, two more examples of attack categories. So there's data poisoning. This is where the attacker manipulates the data to influence the output. Uh, so as an example they gave, uh, picture this AI model that's used to grade uh, coursework for a school. Uh, if the attacker could influence the training data by inserting the word serendipity into all of the essays that have the best grades, that model will then learn to associate that word with good grades, which means when it comes time for the attacker to submit their actual coursework, if they include that word in there, they have a higher chance of it being treated as a good grade because of that association. And you can think how this might be used in something outside of school coursework uh, as well, too. Uh, and then the final one is exfiltration. So stealing the file representation of the model to enable more complex attacks. So they gave an example of this that's basically I consider like espionage or PII theft, where pretend there's like this expensive model that you need to pay a ton of money to have access to uh, because they've built up this really good training set behind the scenes. As an attacker, I could set up my own version of it. Uh, and then basically when I receive a query to my model, I check it against the database. And if I haven't seen that query before, I proxy it over to that expensive third-party one, get the results back and store it in my database. Anytime I get a similar query, I can spit that back out now. So saving me money. Over time, I fill up my database of these inputs and output pairs. And then later, I can build my own model with this collected input-output pair, pairs as the training and effectively steal the intellectual property of that other company. And by the way, if you're trying to do adversarial machine learning against a model that doesn't have public inputs and outputs, this looks like a good way to get those inputs and outputs. Exactly. So these are the main like categories of attacks that Google are focusing on when it comes to red teaming artificial intelligence systems. Uh, in the report, they had a few lessons learned that, learned that they had. First, they pointed out that traditional red teams are a good starting point, 
But with attacks on AI systems, it quickly becomes really complex and it benefits from having an AI subject matter expert on the team, which makes sense. Like at the end of the day, this is extremely complex math and a pretty, pretty forward thinking field of technology. And so having specialists that understand data scientists going on under the hood. I'm sure data science will become a bigger and bigger specialized role in cybersecurity. Really wish I had paid attention in calculus a little bit more. Uh, Hey, you took a black hat training. You're halfway there, right? Who who, who needs a master's degree in data science when you can go to black hat trainings for two to four days? Camp for (laughs) seven years ago or six years ago is definitely helping a whole lot. At least Uh, I know what a feature is. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Baby steps. Um, Second takeaway was uh, addressing red team findings can be challenging because for some attacks, they might not be simple to fix. Like you have to remember a lot of AI is still a black box. Like there's oftentimes engineers that are developing these tools can't really explain why. Yeah, they don't know. I mean, I kind of, and I'm describing how Google or whatever image processor rec you literally don't really know sometimes in unsupervised models. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Another takeaway, so traditional security controls can actually significantly reduce risk, particularly with protecting the integrity of the model throughout its life cycle. So you can apply a lot of your existing InfoSec risk management to AI systems specifically and cover a lot of your bases. Uh, And then finally, uh, many attacks can... Uh, be detected in the same way as traditional attacks. So others might still require layering multiple security models, but the reality is a lot of these attacks are still basically attacks on untrusted input to these models, similar to, you gave that web app analogy earlier, like these are effectively web applications. Well, yeah, they're taking user input and doing some computation and spitting out output. So it makes sense that similar styles of protection around that can help protect these systems. But either way, like this is a pretty cool report from Google. Um, and they are clearly trying to become a leader in this space now after kind of getting caught with their pants down when OpenAI published ChatGPT and blew the lid off everything in here. Um, we'll try and include a link to this in the show notes so you all can have it and take a look at it. But man, I don't know about you, Corey, but it really feels like AI just as a topic is just like skyrocketing at this point in technology. Oh, absolutely. Nuts. It was always a buzzword, but I think as it's getting more and more capable, uh, everyone in their grandma, literally everyone in their grandma, I think I I like the name I think you had for your presentation or one section of your presentation, why your mom or your grandma is asking you about AI machine learning. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's, it's a big topic. Even back then, while we make fun, uh, we made fun of early use of the buzzwords when people claimed a lot of capability from early ML models. The truth is, data in time will just make them more and more powerful. Man, so hopefully in the future, that means we've got extremely powerful defensive tools to use against threat actors and tools to make our everyday lives easier. And hopefully it's not Skynet coming online and nuking us all into oblivion. But time will tell. Yeah. Like you said, I don't think the AI will try to kill us because we're doing a good job ourselves. Instead, it will just uh, change our society and economy so much that we may not figure out how to exist after. Man, looking forward to that future. (laughs) No, it will be good. Look at all the, the history of technology has improved humanity so far. 
who cares what that nuclear clock says? <laughs> My counterpoint to that is social media, but <laughs> whatever. All I know is we better use now. nuclear to get to space and find other planets because <laughs> I think we need to spread out a little. That <laughs> uh, sounds like a great plan to me. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on threads, uh, actually Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore, Corey's at Second Hept, and the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and hopefully we'll see you at Black Hat and DEF CON. Otherwise, you will hear from that us. That would be fun. Next Come week. say hi, man. Please do, and bring drinks. Ha, 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 ha.